Hey, welcome to episode four of the Hey Kerwin show. Thanks to the, those of you who actually answered the last question today, which is what is your top three fears? Very interesting. I just surveyed um, not only you guys, but also my clients and even a few of my friends asking that question. And what I've seen is a really common pattern that has come up, you know, apart from the obvious ones, you know, fear of falling, fear of spiders, sharks and all that kind of stuff is people not living up to their true potential. So it's actually really incredible to see that um, people are very conscious about the possibility that they may not live up to their true potential in this lifetime. So something for you all to think about. Oscar Espinosa says, Hey Corbin, what book do you recommend to change somebody's mindset from being negative? Ooh. Oscar, I like that name, reminds me of Oscar De La Hoya, who's a great, uh, great boxer. I think the very first book I actually read was the book that had that probably had the most profound impact on exactly that, like turning my you know, my mindset from being negative to being one of positive. And that was The Magic of Thinking Big by Dr. David Schwartz. And in that book, he talked about, you know, I, I can't remember the exact the metaphor that he used, but, um, you know, in your head, you've got Mr. Yes and you've got Mr. No and you've got Mr. Positive and Mr. Negative. But that book really stuck with me. And the reason that it stuck with me is not only was it the very first book that I actually read cover to cover, because I never read a book until the age of 23. Some of you may or may not know that. Uh, I failed every subject from year one to year 12. I was diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia at the age of seven. For those of you that don't know what those terms mean, ADHD means that I have an untapped amount of energy to be able to focus on multiple projects at any one time, okay, which is great, powerful, powerful superpower. And dyslexia means that I have the unique ability to look at every problem, situation, opportunity with a very unique perspective to see things that most people don't, to do things that most people can't, just purely because I have a very different perspective that is you know, essentially fundamentally at a brain level. So um, for me, I, I couldn't, I didn't read at school very well. I wasn't very good. And so that was the first book that actually captured my intention and engaged me with enough intensity to be able to complete it. And not only did I read it cover to cover, I actually did it in like three days. So for me, that was massive, that was huge. And it really did have a fundamental shift. It really did send me on a, uh, a completely different tra trajectory, not just with my thoughts. You know, to be fair, I've always been a positive guy. Like I've always been a very positive guy, but there was a period that I went through you know, probably between the ages of you know 19 and and 21, when I you know when I got involved in drugs and I and I, well drugs and violence basically that was the period of time. You know, I left school, I went straight into a into a into a private security, and so for four and a half years I worked pretty heavily in private security and. Um, you know, I started off doing personal protection and armed escorts and then I moved into crowd control just to be able to keep up the workflow and so I, I was working in some of the worst nightclubs and bars, you know, in, in Brisbane at the time to then coming out into a retail environment and I was actually selling uh, sports fitness equipment which was interesting and um, that book just hit me at the right time because you know I'd always been a positive guy I went through that period and then I kind of came out of it really a little bit not knowing who I was and I wasn't the, the, the young positive optimistic guy that I was and, and I wasn't really a negative pessimistic person I was just I was just lost uh, and that book really helped me find myself and I'm very grateful to uh, Dr. David Schwartz for the magic of thinking big everyone should read it that's a little bit of my story that most people don't know about yeah most people don't know about my uh, my old security days these knuckles are scarred for real. The spotted mug is back. I can't tell you the story of what happened with the white mug because Matthias cut it from the last clip. Matthias dropped his bottle of anal bleach and it splashed over my mug and all the, all the spots of Hey Kerwin, my boss is negative. What is a way of changing his attitude to make the workplace better? Look, first of all, Nathan, you can't change his attitude, but what you can do is something that we do here, which is practice open and honest communication. You know, that's a value that we have on our wall, and it's not just um, a fancy picture that looks nice. It's actually not even a fancy picture. I think it was like four bucks at Kinko's. 
But um, it's something that's really important to us because it gives everyone the permission to be able to have the conversations that most people probably wouldn't. You know, we had a meeting, you know, yesterday or, or last week whenever we had our last monthly meeting and we actually get the opportunity, because it's a value, we actually get the opportunity to bring up things that perhaps would normally not be brought up or if they were brought up, they'd be brought up at a water cooler when the people who aren't all present aren't there, if that makes sense. So look, I think the first thing you should do is just sit down and say, look, if it's okay by you, you know, do you mind if we have a really open and honest communicate, open and honest conversation? Because I would really love to have a, a, a talk about how we can improve your business. You know, and again, if you start off with the frame about how you can help them rather than what is it that you want, the people are gonna be more receptive. But if there's one thing I'll suggest is when you give that feedback, like when you share your perspective, it's important to understand two things. Number one, it's just your perspective. It may not be his truth. Uh, and number two, it's really important that you de deliver it in a way that it's gonna be received. And uh, you know, I, I've, I've learned the importance of delivery by studying, you know, I've studied a lot, for, a lot of different modes of a lot of different things, but um, you know, I went through this period where I was studying all the CIA, uh, and in, like I basically went through a, a combination of five different books that was looking at you know, Russian intelligence, you know, American intelligence, US, you know, different forms of intelligence agency, how they interrogated people to get information. And what was actually really interesting is the, 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 mo the model of interrogation that was most effective, uh, which was actually created by a guy called uh, Michael, Michael Houston, uh, ex-chief of security for CIA, um, he talked about the importance of when opening and conducting interviews where you wanted to get information from people and also have, which is essentially have people be receptive, is the importance of going into those situations with unbiased. Because sometimes when we want to share something with someone, we have a bias within us that creates almost like this charge where we want to get our point across. We want to be heard. And in some cases, we want to prove a point or to be right. I found that some of the most powerful ways to persuade people is when you go into a situation and you want nothing, you focus only on the issue at hand and you just aren't attached to whatever the outcome is. Because if you're not attached, there's no emotional bind, there's no emotional attachment there. And so if he doesn't receive the information well and you're attached to the outcome, you know, you're, which means you're biased, you have a bias for the outcome that you're looking for, you, know, you have an, an agenda, then um, you, know, you, may take the, you may take the outcome harder than he takes the feedback if you don't see it as you getting your own way. So again, just to summarize, you know, open and honest communication, remove all bias, come in there wanting nothing, focus only on the issue at hand and deliver the information in a way that you know, is really kind and gentle and constructive. Maria Alexandratos. Wow, that's a, we'll just call you Maria. She says, hey Kerwin, I work a lot of overtime and am underpaid. My one-on-one -on -one performance reviews coming up with my male boss. How do I ask for what I'm worth? Mm. Interesting use of language there. Um, I never ignore a throwaway word or throwaway line. You know, I'm going to assume obviously by your name um, that you're female. I'm going to assume obviously by you qualifying that your boss is a man, that uh, you believe that you're, you're a part of the people that believe that there is, a, you know, there is a wage gap based on sex. And I'm not saying there's not. Clearly there is. You know, the data says that there is. Uh, but there's not in my company. And you know, for me, I think it's really important first and foremost just to let go of the belief that you know that perhaps women are treated differently and regard and I go I know the I know the rub here and I know this is contradictory uh, and I know the irony here regardless of how true it may or may not be in the market if you bring that belief system in it's actually going to literally affect the outcome as to whether or not you will get what it is that you're looking for I think a lot of people don't realize fundamentally how powerful beliefs are when it comes to affecting things um, without anything else happening other than a, a belief being held you know, quantum science is, 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 it was known as, you know, as being, 
you know, almost like this, um, this science of spooky behavior that couldn't be understood or described because depending on who is lo looking at subatomic particles, those subatomic particles would behave differently. And what we've discovered, you know, and this maxim comes from quantum science and quantum mechanics and particle physics, is when we change the way we look at the world, the world actually literally starts to behave in a different way. The material starts to behave in a different way. So these beliefs that we hold on to, that we bring into certain conversations can in some cases predetermine the outcome before we've even had a conversation because that belief might be really strong. And the thing is, you might have this belief and you might think this belief is wrong, but if that belief is there, it's gonna affect everything. So I think the first thing you need to do is, is really shake that belief. And I'm only going by the language that was used. You know, you, you are female, you mentioned he was male, so that creates opposition right there. Um, and let it go and, and focus on the value. Focus on what it is that you do well. Don't focus on the fact that he's a guy and you're a girl. In my opinion, that's got nothing to do with it. And if you use that as, as your tools of negotiation, it's not going to end well. It's not going to, and even if you do get what you want, it's, it's not going to bide well. Uh, you know, to me, you know, people who, who, who would perhaps, and I'm not saying you would, but people who would perhaps use that, those motives as forms of negotiation, to me that's manipulation, that's not negotiation. Uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, there isn't bias in the marketplace, as I said, the data says, already says that there is, but it's important that you go in and you negotiate without bias. You know, like what I said to the last guy, don't bring in your issues to the situation, come in there with a clean slate and negotiate based on the value that you bring. But what's really most important for you is be able to quantify and measure the value that you bring to the organization in a dollar value. And then that you should be reverse engineering whatever it is that you're looking for from them. But also understand that it may not necessarily be just about increase in wage. There are many things that you can look at that can, that can affect and increase the value of a package that you're on. You know, it can be the number of hours that you worked, it can be you know, flexi time, it can be you know, additional time off or additional tr learning and training and development. You know, it can be you know, um, salary sacrifice going towards cars and, and other things that are of a fixed nature that may perhaps you know, lower your taxable income. Um, you know, there's many things that you can consider that you can use to negotiate. And, and again, I think most people, when they negotiate their wage, like if they're at a performance review and they try to negotiate, you know, an increase in package, most people are so fucking one-dimensional. Now they, and again, I don't experience this, you know, because most of the time I offer, you know, pay rises before people even ask for them. But what I find interesting is when people do, they're negotiating for money. You know, and money, you can make more money, but you can't make more time. And I think, you know, you should really be thinking outside of the box and not just be thinking, okay, it's all about the money, because if it is, then it'll be all about the money and, and that'll be the root of your problems. But if you start looking at other things, as I said, like, you know, lifestyle, time, vacation, you know, um, training, learning, growing, what are your values? What's important to you? And find ways that can, uh, they can add value to you without necessarily just being pay related, although that's, you know, an important part as well. Ali Barrett asks, Hey Corbin, how have you balanced well-being and sacrifices? Oh, that's a good question. How have I managed balancing well-being and making sacrifices? Truth is, I don't. Balance is a myth, and I'm convinced it's a complete myth because I haven't met anyone who's very successful that has complete balance. But what I've learned is that, it, that balance and sacrifice is a constant juggling match. I personally will sacrifice things that relate to my business on a very regular basis. I sacrifice things that relate to spending time with my son and my wife on a regular basis. Now, by on a regular basis, it might be 30 minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes. I'm not talking necessarily about days on end. You know, I make sacrifices about my health on a very regular basis. I juggle my sacrifices based on the priorities that are important in that moment. So for me, you know, if I'm in the middle of a tour, you know, the business is, you know, the business is focus. 
you know, I still make the time to connect with my son and my wife, but my son and my wife know that right now the priority is, is the business. You know, and sometimes when I've come off the back of a tour or the back of the event, you know, I'm spending time with my, my wife and my son and my family, and my team know at that point I'm going to be harder to reach. And as a result, you know, I'm going to sacrifice growth. I'm going to sacrifice scale, in some cases revenue, because I'm not going to be as, as contactable. So you know, it, I'm constantly juggling what I'm sacrificing. But the, the, rea the, the thing that's, you know, I guess, consistent is sacrifice. You will be constantly sacrificing different areas of your life, health, relationship, you know, finances, when it comes to prioritizing different parts of your life. Um, and look, you might be, and I'm gonna assume you're not because you asked the fucking question, but there might be people out there that are freaks of nature that can do this. I'm just not that guy, you know? I um, am in a, const, I'd say a relative, I think the, the thing that's changed in the last 12 months is I've learned to accept the imbalance as just how it is. And now I don't get stressed about the imbalance and I don't get anxious about it. Now I just go, well, that's just how it is. I just need to juggle. And, and I, I think that's half the issue is the pursuit of something that is unrealistic causes the most stress. You know, and we see this with startups. And I talk about this with Matthias, you know, um, where you, you meet these startups and they want to make a million dollars in 12 months. It's fucking unrealistic. You know, the reality is it's going to take you 10 years and chances are 2% of people will actually even survive to the 10 year mark anyway. So, you know, I think it's a myth. I think, um, the expectation that you will find it will actually probably cause more stress than just the acceptance that you won't and then you just have to learn how to prioritize and juggle based on what's important in that moment, that day, that week, that month. Great question and I hope that answer really hits home because that was a big one for me. Jennifer Mooley says, hey Corbin, any advice for a small business owner in a small tourist town with shoulder seasons? Okay, um, I think first and foremost, you know, for a tourist business, it's going to come down to uh, first of all, visibility and collaborations, you know, um, with any, you know, the tourist industry is fundamentally connected by collaborative partners, you know, airlines and hotels and hire car companies and, you know, travel, you know, they've got all these and discount and webs, you've got all these people that essentially collaborate together to make the tourism industry work. And where I see most tourism operators struggle is when they're not collaborating. You know, they're trying to work in an isolation. They're trying to work in solo to the rest of the market or they're in the industry. You know, the, the success of most, um, you know, travel or tourism based businesses comes down to obviously the amount of people that you've got coming through your door. But it's important that you collaborate with other businesses or other tourism businesses or businesses in general or companies, not necessarily at a local level. It could be at a state and a national level that, you know, have the, the, the reach and the capacity to drive business your way, but then you set it up in a mutually beneficial way. You know, you know what I'm referring to here is, is, is joint ventures. Now, how do you create mutually beneficial relationships where everyone wins? Because you know, I think some people go, well, I could approach this person, but then I'm gonna have to give them something. Yeah, that's kind of the point. You approach someone and you negotiate and you find out what is the value of the relationship if they were to refer, let's call it, you know, a 50, 100,000 people to you. And then from there, you look at what, what from that would enable you to give something back in return that would make it worth their while. You know, would it be mutual promotion, which in this case, probably not. You know, would it be profit share, which is very popular in the tourism space where kickbacks are given for, you know, numbers of people that are, that are actually driven to, whether it be, you know, a snorkeling trip or a wine trip or a, you know, fucking picnic. Um, it's, a, it's, it's mostly irrelevant, but it's looking about how you can collaborate in a way with the people that are already able to get those business. But again, the people that you want to collaborate with, for the most part, you want to make sure that they're non-competitive because you obviously don't want to create any confrontation. So that's the first thing, collaboration. It drives your, your market and your industry. The second thing 
is the importance of, of visibility. So I'm going to talk about visibility in two fronts. Visibility at a street frontage level is very important and visibility online is also very important. So you know it's important that you have obviously a website, it's important that you have at least a sufficient level of SEO, search engine optimization that enables your website to be seen when someone Googles what to do in Wagga or what to do in Goulburn or what to do in Cessnock or whatever the tourist town is that you're um, the, not that they're all tourist towns, but I'm sure they could be. Um, so that when people look, that they find you. And one thing that would really enable you and help you to do that would, would be to actually create a travel blog based on your town. So actually go around and start writing articles about all the different things that people can do, even if you're not the one, you're not the service provider providing those services. Because here's what can happen, is you will attract people. You might go and do someone else's, let's call it, you might go and do someone's safari. You might go and do someone's wine tour. But you're a, uh, let's say you're a, you're a um, uh, let's say you're a gift shop. You do, and you're running a blog that is around, let's call it, you know, the, the what's a touristy town? Um, Ellie Beach, okay. You, you could call the blog a tourist guide to Ellie Beach or um, Ellie Beach in a day or Ellie Beach in a week or something like that. And therefore you can go around and say to all the people in your, in your, in your community and say, listen, I've got this blog. I want to blog about your business. How about you give me a free wine tour and if it's good, I'll blog about your business or at least give me a discount or something. Most people would do it for free if the relationships are good. So again, we're getting back to the collaboration again, whereby not only can you start writing blogs about your town that will create content that creates a high level of optimization for search, which means it'll increase the likelihood of your presence being seen on Google, but it also is going to give you the opportunity where you might be able to start selling wine tours. You know, you might become, you know, um, a, a distributor for different products and services in your community where people come to you, buy it from you or your website. Okay, you then go and pay for it for the person to, to the operator, but they give you a kickback. Now, obviously, your prices need to be on margin with what's being advertised online, uh, and that kickback actually has to come as some form of a commission, which can range, you know, it can range in the tourist industry anywhere between, you know, I've known of people going as low as 5% for high ticket, high cost environments, where that's where there's a lot of cost involved with delivering the service, and in some cases, as much as 50, 60%, where, you know, that's in timeshare. You know, all the time I hear about people running these, uh, you know, I see it, and actually, when I go, when I go to Maui, you know, I'll, I'll go along La the main street of Lahaina, and there'll, you know, always be these dudes that are trying to you know sell um, you know whether it be a zip lining thing or a helicopter ride but they're selling it at stupidly ridiculously low prices and what happens is, is they sell it but what they have to do in order to get the zip line or the bungee or whatever they have to sit through a 90 minute presentation on timeshare and the person who sells the helicopter ride they get let's call it the $79 helicopter ride or the $79 zip line they get the whole $79 all of it 100% but what the timeshare company get is they actually get a lead which is very valuable to them and to them they're more than willing to pay you know 200 300 dollars for a zip line or a fucking helicopter ride because they know based on their numbers for every 10 people that they get they'll make thirty thousand dollars in sales from those thirty thousand dollars in sales it's probably going to be profit around 40 50 percent so it more than covers their margin to be able to do that if that makes sense even if they're giving away 10 of those it's five thousand dollars making thirty thousand thirty thousand dollars in margin say 15 they've still got 10 left over in their margin everybody wins so a couple of things to think about, you know, as I said, collaboration, visibility at a street level and also online. And social media. Don't forget the social media. Do videos, do, do guide, guided tours, do just stuff. Short, sharp, punchy that makes people want to know more. Don't actually give them everything, but just give them enough to want to know more. Sanjay Mali says, hey Corwin, how do you keep your staff happy? Sanjay, great question. First of all, I don't, I don't call them staff. Staff?
in my world is actually a derogatory term. Staff to me is a pole that is used in combat to harm someone else that you're trying to beat in some form of battle. So first of all, I remove the term staff from your vocabulary and use the term talent. Talent is a, is a very complimentary label that when given to someone actually has a positive effect. You're my staff. That's, that's not neutral, that's even negative. You know, you're my, this is, I'd like you to introduce you to Matthias, he's my film talent. Like that has a ring to it, that has a, like a prestige to it. It's like a, a level of credibility that you don't get with the term staff. Uh, and the second thing is, is I, you know, I create an environment that, that my team and my talent want to be around. You know, we've got a ping pong table there. You know, we've got a dining room table there. We provide, you know, we buy breakfast and lunch for everyone. And by buying breakfast and lunch, we do two shops every week um, at our local supermarket that is delivered. We do online shopping. Um, and everyone gets to choose what they want to have for breakfast. Everyone gets to choose what they want to have for lunch. So we actually provide the ingredients for people to come in and make their own breakfast, make their own lunch. And the reason I do that is because all of my team are high performers. And one of the things that I know about high performers is they don't typically always take care of themselves. Uh, and so as a result, I set up the mechanisms in, in, the, in the office environment to ensure that the support is there so it's easier for them to take care of themselves or it's easier for me or for other people who are perhaps you know, can spot something to be able to go in there and provide some support as well. Something else that I really like to do is every month do a 10 minute connect where you sit down with everyone for 10 minutes and, and this has almost removed the need for performance reviews for us. Like I'm, we're at a point now where we're looking at performance reviews and I'm going, I don't think we need it. Like I'm speaking with everyone one-on-one -on -one for 10 minutes every month and you know, they're giving me updates about their life, they're giving me updates about the work, I'm finding out where they are in their performance just through natural and organic conversation without all the stigma attached to it. It's a performance review. Um, so that to me, it not only gives me a clear indication of where they're at, but it also gives me opportunity to find out how I can support them. You know, and some, sometimes support isn't let me help you with more resources. Sometimes support is do you need a day off? Like, have you got some stuff going on at home and you need some time? You know, have you got you know having some challenges with your partner at home? Do you need some extra time? Do you need some flexibility? And I find the more I get to know what my team's values are, like what's really important to them, the more I can speak and cater to those values and actually give them a sense of not just having a great place to work, but actually knowing that they really cared about uh, and that this is their family. That's one of our values is we are family. And that to me, you know, and I've said this before, you know, I, grew, I only had a very small family. I mean, I've always been looking outside for more people to make up part of my family unit and my team and my family. You know, and um, the beautiful thing is you can't pick your family, but you can pick your team. <laughs> I'll leave it with that. For those of you playing at home, don't forget, hashtag HeyKerwin. Let me know. What do you want to know? Life, love, and business. Okay, maybe not about love, but tell me. What do you want to know? Hashtag HeyKerwin. And the question of the day, are you ready for this one? The question of the day is, if you were given a $100,000 check today, let's say I wrote out of my venture capital fund, I wrote you a $100,000 check today, I want you to break down where you would spend it. Now, please understand, most people when they get this money, they're gonna go, oh, I'm gonna spend it on marketing. Oh, I'm gonna spend it on fucking travel or a car. I want you to give me a, a literal cost analysis, a complete breakdown on where you would put that money because that's gonna give me an incredible insight into how you think and what you think is involved in growing your business to the next level. If I gave you $100,000 today, a check, cash, how would you deploy that capital? Give me the breakdown. I want to know if you know how to spend money in a business or if you're just some other glitter bag that wants to do some fancy stuff that looks good that gets you nowhere. Where do you play? Thanks for listening to Hey Kerwin. If you would like your questions answered, don't forget to use the hashtag Hey Kerwin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.